Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best mysteries, thrillers, and suspense novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with New York Times bestselling author Ivan Goldman, the author of the wonderful book, The Debtor Class. Ivan, welcome. Oh, hi, Steve. I have to tell people that I read your book and I absolutely loved it. I'm in kind of a a role right now. Everything I'm reading, I, I, I read two books last week that were just fantastic, and yours is one of them. They're completely different. Yours is uh, yours is a very unique, uh, kind of dark, laugh out loud, funny book, and the kind of thing that I just very seldom run across. And it's it's an absolute triumph, and I congratulate you on the book. I want to read a book list. Starred review, a little bit of that as, as we get in it, because they can explain it a little better than I can. Okay. Here we go. This amazing book is peopled by the lowest of the low. Crooked cops, embezzling assistants, jailhouse bullies, and bill collectors. It's also one of the year's funniest efforts. Good-natured and warm-hearted, with the author displaying great verbal skills and characters drawn from a remarkably fertile imagination. Bento is an ex-con who spent money earned in the prison laundry on Anna Karenna. Liz, with her master's in library science, dances in a chicken suit. Phil Yaw is a dead ringer for Bogart, owns an offbeat collection agency, and employs the un- this unlikely crew. Jesting with them and treating them well. Together they punish the wicked and reward the good. And when everyday reality breaks through, it's in the jostling stories of the people they try to collect from. People who worked hard but didn't do any good. This is not one of those creepy, crazy, insane novels. Instead, it's a banjo act before the darkening sky. A little bit Kurt Vonnegut Jr. with howlingly funny dialogue. Don't let it slip by. This one needs lots of word of mouth to become the cult classic it deserves to be. Easy for me to say. That's a great review. Yeah, I uh, I can't find fault with it. <laughs> I, oh, I was very pleased uh, to read it, and I'm very pleased that you enjoyed the book, Steve. I you know, when I started reading it, I didn't know what I didn't know what to expect. It started in a way that was kind of funny, and I, I sensed these dark undertones, and all of a sudden, I'm just laughing out loud, and I'm picturing this stuff, and it it just continued on the whole way. This great character study of these people uh, for whom life has taken a severe left turn, and oftentimes through no real fault of their own, life's just not going their way. And this was back during the recession, and God, it was fun, too. One of the characters was talking about all the stocks that he'd bought and lost money on, and I had every single one of them, and I still remembered all the (laughs) stock symbols, and, uh, you know, that was an interesting time. I think I own some of those stocks, too. That was... That was a, a, a painful section to write. <laughs> All right. So give us an overview of the book. We've, we've heard the review, but let's hear your take on the book. Well, the, the center of the book is a collection agency office, which sounds uh, kind of dismal, uh, but it isn't, as, as you know. And, and years ago, I, when I was a reporter for the Washington Post, I did a series on collection agencies, and I found an agency uh, that was run by uh, two uh, Korean War vets who were nice guys, smart guys. Uh, you know, I, I'm not saying I was ready to write a hit piece, but I didn't expect to find good people in the collection agency, and I did. And uh, I wrote that series, uh, and uh, it stayed with me 
all the rest of my life. I mean, it was years ago. I don't know even when it, what year it was. And then it's, I became a novelist, and at some point I said, Why? you know, that thing that, that I, I can still quote what those guys told me 25 years ago. There must be a reason why it's stuck in my mind. And uh, there is, because uh, in a collection agency, it's, it's, you have a front row seat to the American opera. You see it all. You see the people who are owed the money, the people who owe the money, uh, what they bought, uh, why they owe the money. You find out about their divorces and their child support and their vacations to Disney World. And, it's, uh, and then you also find out about the people collecting who in many cases are, uh, are themselves uh, former uh, debtors uh, who were being uh, harassed by collection agencies. It's, it's just a, it's a front row seat to the American drama, or the American opera, as I put it. That's a fabulous line. Now, you, in a past life, you, you mentioned that you were a reporter prior to, and I, I saw an article that you had written, I forget where it was published, but it was written some time ago about sort of your time at the Washington Post that reflected, or referred back to a story that you had written when you were working in Kansas City. You went to jail and were released as a prisoner and and spent a day in the shoes of a prisoner who'd just been released from jail. And there's a very poignant scene in this in this book where Bento is released from prison. How much of that did you draw upon that experience in Kansas City? Uh, I, I drew upon that experience in Kansas City, and it wasn't jail, it was the Missouri... <laughs> It was the Missouri State Penitentiary. Okay. Uh, and I uh, and uh, what was it? it was interesting. Sonny Liston learned to box in that penitentiary. They still had the same ring. As a reporter, uh, I'd seen quite a number of uh, criminal proceedings, and uh, those stick in your mind too. Uh, and, and I so uh, there, there's a crooked cop in this, and uh, they stick in my mind and. Uh, there are also some of the characters I made up, and some of them are based on people I met. Uh, it's, it, but, but yeah, all of that stayed with me because it's interesting, and I'm glad it stayed with me, and I'm glad I was able to make use of it. Uh, to me, that's that's the best way to write about things is is to write a good story about them, not report about them. All right. Now you mentioned the crooked cop. And he has a peculiar look about him. And it's, it's, we're not giving away a secret here, because if you pick up the book and look at the cover, you'll see this blue cop. <laughs> so what's the story behind the blue cop? Well, there actually are blue people. They took silver nitrate. Many of them uh, did it. Uh, if you remember the Y2K uh, 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 insanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're probably old enough to remember. I certainly am. I not only was am old enough to remember. I was in the technology business at the time, and uh, it, yeah, it was very chaotic. It, it, it all sounded like crap to me that the <laughs> whole world is, is, you know, not that I'm a, a genius, but it, you know, I figured that they're going to find a way out of this. But there were people who, you know, there are always people, uh, and you can make a lot of money off of this, uh, who assume the worst will happen. You can. Uh, go to a, 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 a bad bookstore and you'll see a lot of uh, 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 books about that tell you to buy gold, sell everything, mm-hmm. you know, 
the economy is doomed, the world is doomed, maybe gold and platinum will be okay, but maybe not. And anyway, this guy uh, uh, took silver nitrate because he assumed that uh, when the world breaks down, you'll be unable to get antibiotics. And there were people who did that. Believe it or not, there was a guy, I got the idea, because there was a man in the Montana legislature who was blue from taking (laughs) silver nitrate. This guy was elected to the legislature, and when they asked him about, well, you know, do you think it was a good idea in retrospect? Uh, He said, well, you know, it's not over yet. Uh, (laughs) You know, know, like maybe, you know. So this guy is kind of like hoping the world will end so he can look smart for turning himself blue with silver nitrate. And I researched that and found out that uh, there are many people, apparently, that's where we get the title blue bloods. Uh, Silver nitrate has been known for uh, anti-bacterial properties uh, for many, many years, and so you had to be rich to take it uh, in a kind of a liquid form, Mm -hmm. and uh, it will turn your blood blue and your skin, not your blood, but it'll it'll turn you blue. So here you have a cop running around a town uh, who has been turned blue uh, from taking silver nitrate, and you you know, you can't fire a guy over that. Well, it certainly makes him unique and memorable and really makes the cover stand out. I I get a sense from looking at some of your other work, some of the other books that you've written in the past, that you like writing about people, I don't know, maybe on the fringes or people for whom life is just not working out the way they expect it. Is that a true statement or is is that confined to this one book? Well, it, it, it is a true statement because obviously, you know, it, it's people under pressure mm-hmm. uh, who are interesting. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I believe that Proust is was a genius, but uh, there's no, no one seems to be under any real pressure uh, when I read Proust. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you just have to love him for for other reasons. Uh, uh, and I like to put people under pressure. And one of the things I noticed uh, in my life, for instance, uh, uh, when I got out of the Army, I spent a short time teaching school at a very tough school in Chicago. Uh, it, it was just an elementary school, uh, but it was rough. And uh, I, the kids were all falling out of their seats because they were so tense. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's scary and, and nerve-wracking to live in a tough neighborhood where people are beating people up all the time and shooting people all the time and stealing their stuff all the time and ganging up on them. And when they go home, there are a lot of people living in that home and they're making noise and they're playing. And these kids were neurotic uh, and they, were, they would routinely fall out of their seats because they were so nervous. And nobody laughed. Everybody picked on everybody in this school, but they didn't laugh when kids fell out of their seats uh, from, from just, just agitating. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said, where are the psychiatrists? Well, they're in Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so there's a misallocation of resources. <laughs> you have 
people in Beverly Hills who can't get the, the latest model Rolls Royce, so they have to go to a shrink, and these kids are dodging bullets on the way to school. <laughs> so something's wrong here. All right. So people that are listening to this, you're getting a sense of, of Ivan's ability to take a serious subject and add humor to it. And that, that comes through over and over and over again in the book. It's just such an enjoyable read because it makes you think and then it makes you laugh. How do you, how do you as a writer do that? I mean, you were a newspaper man. You, you weren't making people laugh when you were writing newspaper stories. No, uh, I, I wasn't. And, uh, you know, I feel that if, if, if your work is devoid of humor, uh, it, there's something missing, because humor is a really important part of life. They had humor in the death camps. Uh, it, it's, it's a part of us. It, it helps keep us going. It, it needs to be in there. And if it's not in there, uh, you don't have to give people an accurate portrayal of life. You just have to give them a good book and a good story. But I, I don't think it really is representative of how the world works if, if there's no humor. And, and, uh, I, I, and I tell you freely that uh, uh, my model in this uh, was Joe Heller of Catch-22. Okay. Was a, 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 I'm a great, great admirer of Joe Heller. So I... I I, I hope it, the work is not derivative, but uh, it's, it's uh, uh, certainly written with respect and acknowledgement of all he taught me uh, just by the work he did. Now, let's, let's talk a little bit about the characters in the book. We, we've mentioned a couple of them, but how much time did you spend coming up with the backstories for these? Like the librarian in the chicken suit. I mean, that's funny and poignant stuff when you read about a character like this. Yeah, I, I dated this. Uh, this book is dated. I, I, I knew when I wrote it, someday we'll come out of this recession in some way or other. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, the jury is out as to whether we're really out of this recession. I think the 1% is out of the recession. I'm not about the rest of us. I've got this, you know, strange way of doing uh, novels, and I, uh, I, I just take notes on things uh, that I think of, things I see, and see, uh, can I fit that in somewhere? And, <laughs> and, some, and it takes a while, and I put it all together and gradually put a story together and put the characters in there. And, uh, uh, yeah, there's a character here who has a master's in library science, and uh, she's working inside a chicken suit, uh, beckoning uh, drivers <laughs> to pull over and buy a chicken sandwich. And you've got a best-selling novelist who hasn't really written anything of note for a while? Uh, yes, and uh, he's, he's, that's somewhat taken, you know, I, it, I, I, I try to tell, you know, I tell the truth, that is somewhat taken from Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen uh, went to a Buddhist monastery for three years. I didn't know that. Yes, he went to, he did. It was on Mount Baldy in California. And he came back from the Buddhist monastery and found out that uh, the woman he'd left in charge of his finances had stolen all his money. Uh, and, and when he asked her about it, uh, she got very perturbed and started spreading evil 
rumors uh, about him that were just totally she you know she, she was a complete nutcase <laughs> but you know how you know but that's all true to life when uh, people wrong you in many cases when they really wrong you uh, then they resent you because you remind them of their evil deeds and some and so a, a very small part of that it, it was Leonard Cohen who gave me that idea but uh, th- this 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 guy who lost all his money uh, to a woman uh, who was an ex-girlfriend. Leonard Cohen's was an ex-girlfriend. Uh, this this guy's a novelist, and I never met Leonard Cohen. I never met Leonard Cohen. He was just a springboard uh, to this character, and and I but I really got to like this character. And then uh, and then the character it turned out was in the army, and I was had been in the army, and I had been in the army, and he was in the army during Vietnam. And uh, uh, and then I took uh, some of my experiences and gave them to Le- to the Leonard Cohen character, who mm-hmm. of course had not been in the army. Uh, so uh, you know that that's the great thing about fiction—you can make stuff up. And they don't let you do that when you're a reporter. No. Now let's let's talk a little bit about your reporter so, life, or actually the the way. Uh, what happened after you left your reporter life? Because you're a young man, you're working at the Washington Post. Um, for a reporter, you're on your way. I mean, this is this is the life, I would assume, the life that you wanted, and you walked away. Why? I, I walked away because it was my own fault. Uh, I was surrounded at the Washington Post by, I felt, by a lot of Ivy Leaguers who I felt were looking down their nose at me. My father was a butcher. I went to what I call one of the directional schools, you know, uh, southern this, northern that, uh-huh. uh, you know, <laughs> former teachers' colleges. And, and I felt out of place. I felt these guys know um, which tie to wear and, and what to order in a restaurant. And they know about wine and they know... Uh, uh, where to go with Lake Cuomo. I didn't even know where Lake Cuomo was. I didn't know what country it was in. Uh, and I just really felt out of place, and I left. I, I, uh, I, I was not you know, I was nuts, and uh, call it temporary insanity. And, <laughs> but short, uh, not much later, I was in Aspen, Colorado, working as a roofer, uh, hauling uh, 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 buckets of tar uh, up, to, up on a roof. And they'd ask me at the Washington Post, uh, you know, you don't have to quit. You can, you, you, we'll give you a leave of absence. And I said, no, I, I just want out of here. It, it, I was just unhappy and I didn't know why. And uh, later, you know, I found out that that's an actual psychological uh, uh, trauma that many people share. If you come from a kind of a meager background and you rise quickly, and I rose quickly, uh, you feel it's undeserved. And you feel you're an imposter. So mm-hmm. uh, I had this uh, imposter syndrome. But I, I don't look back on it now uh, with regret at all. I'm glad uh, that uh, I figured out what, what was wrong with me. And it was uh, what was wrong with me and not the people at the Post. Uh, they were, in fact, uh, quite kind to me. So now you write novels and you have you found another career as a journalist. Um, share with the listeners what that is. Well, that career as a journalist, I know what you're referring to. Uh-huh. Is, uh, for many years, I was a uh, uh, a columnist for, uh, for Ring Magazine, writing about boxers. And and actually, you asked me about the criminal justice uh, stuff that's in this book, and there's quite a bit of it. Uh, one of the main characters is an ex-convict, 
uh, named Bento. And uh, uh, I, I, I got another backseat uh, uh, to the criminal justice system as a boxing writer because so many fighters uh, came from criminal backgrounds or they end up with criminal backgrounds uh, when they get screwed and uh, uh, when they're too old uh, to make any money as fighters anymore and they don't have any other way to make money and mm-hmm. they, get, uh, they get involved in, in criminal en- enterprises, which is often uh, selling um, substances and uh, then they end up in prison uh, and, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no victim. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, and you think about this quite a bit when you know a lot of these people who got dragged into this, who get dragged into prison, uh, who came from prison and then often return to prison. And you capture so much of that in the debtor class, which is, is just a, a brilliantly dark and funny uh character study and it just i can't recommend it highly enough so where can people find this book well it it's uh already on amazon uh it's uh, it's on barnes and noble mm-hmm. uh, it's on kindle it's wherever uh fine books are sold. <laughs> okay i i can't thank you enough ivan for being on the show today uh what's the best way for people to keep up with your work and uh, to know when you've got another book coming out you can find me uh, on Permanent Press. I don't like to say this because the independent booksellers get angry, but there's quite a bit about me uh, on my Amazon page. If you if you look me up on Amazon, you'll find out uh, quite a bit about me. I will also say that you're on Twitter. I found you there today, so people can find you on Twitter. You may not be a social media monster, but you're there. No, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook. Uh, Ivan G. Golden. Uh, you can... You can find me. I, I'm not going to read off. Uh, you know that if you know my name, you can. You find can. Him. You can find him. There aren't a lot of guys uh, with my name. All right. Well, Ivan, thanks so much. Uh, thank you, Steve. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you are an iTunes listener, please subscribe and give us a rating or a review. Those will help other crime fiction readers find great new books like The Debtor Class from Ivan G. Goldman. Thanks for listening.